Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Episode 39, Strangers. You're listening to the Dublin Story Slam podcast. And on this episode of the podcast, you're going to hear three stories connected by the theme Strangers. So you're going to hear a story about how a stranger from Galway helps absolve an Irishman from his sins in India. You're going to hear how a Canadian and an American helped an Irish woman overcome her fears on a bridge in South Korea. And finally, we'll be catching a train to Cork to hear how a random fellow passenger became one woman's guardian angel. My name is Julian Clancy and I am the producer and the creator of the Dublin Story Slam and this is the Dublin Story Slam podcast. Okay, so first up is a story from Patrick Plant. Now, Patrick told this story at a Story Slam where the theme was actually the great outdoors. Uh, But this is a story that's as much filled with, uh, I suppose, the aftermath of grief and I suppose how we deal with that and how it ended up bringing Patrick all the way to India as part of his last goodbye. This is Patrick Plant. Right. My story relates to... uh quite a turbulent time in my life, uh, generally speaking, not helped at all by the sudden and untimely death of my wife, Valerie, um, which obviously, as you can imagine, turned my, my world kind of inside out. And after a period in the doldrums, feeling sorry for myself and going through all the anger and rage and resentment and all the rest of it that that brings, I decided to try and recalibrate, reassemble myself. As part of that, um, I joined a Japa yoga meditation group. A Japa yoga meditation is not the conventional type of uh, meditation group where we have this vision of somebody sitting on a meditation cushion in easy lotus position. How is it ever called easy lotus position is beyond me. But anyway, e- easy lotus position. Um, eyes closed, hand mudras going and all the rest of it. Now, this is, this is a chanting meditation sort of group. And the resonance that comes off that was, is really, really lovely when you get 50 or 60 people together uh, chanting the same mantra like Amani Padmi Om or something like that. Anyway, it was really helpful for me at the time in, in my attempts to recalibrate. Uh, as a result of being part of this meditation group, an opportunity arose for me to... Uh, go on a spiritual trip to Canada, or to Canada, Canada? Ban- too much band flats, too much band, um, to India. 
little bit, little bit different, a little bit different, right? Slight difference there. So um, I decided to sign up because I reckon things can't be any worse in India, right, than they are here right now, and they might even be a little bit better. So uh, I went at it with gusto. Uh, now, in life, my wife, Valerie, loved travel, and uh, as did I. So we went to some really interesting places. And, um, you know, the minutiae of conversation that's exchanged between couples in a lifetime that doesn't seem to have any relevance when it's been spoken suddenly takes on relevance when they're no longer there to speak it. So one of the things Valerie said, that uh, if she died before me, she still wanted to travel with me. So I endeavoured to fulfil that wish of Valerie. So when I boarded the flight for Delhi, I had a little A4 envelope in my pocket with a bit of Valerie in it. Uh, now, I hasten that at this stage, folks. She had been cremated, so we're talking ashes. <laughs> we're, not talking, we're not talking fingers or toes. We're talking ashes, okay? So away to Delhi with me with my contraband in my pocket. And when we got to Delhi, then we headed north, which was always the plan, to go up towards the Himalayas and eventually to a place called Depravag. Now, Depravag in the Hindu tradition is really, really uh, revered. And it is the location for for lots of ceremony, and tens of thousands of pilgrims, pilgrims visit there every year. And as Westerners, we wouldn't have always had access to that site, but we had a, a self-appointed guru that I referred to as Master Sashi, who had some power and influence, and because of that, he was able to get us down to the site by the, the Ganges to perform this gratitude ceremony. So, uh, this place now is lethal, as far as I'm concerned, but it's, it's, I think it's, it's revered because it's, it's the confluence of several rivers into what becomes the Ganges. And there's this platform right down by the river that these ceremonies happen. And there's no guardrail, there's no life buoy, there's no life belt, there's no lifeguard, there's no lifeboat, there's nothing. Um, so the gratitude ceremony happened there anyway, us, us group of 50 or 60 people, I think, at the time. And when this ceremony was going on anyway, I thought that there's no more appropriate place now for Valerie to, to be released than here. So I surreptitiously and discreetly fished the envelope from my pocket and just scattered it into the water. Uh, well, I wasn't as surreptitious and discreet as I thought I was because it'd been, it had been noticed by one of the group leaders who came over to me to inquire as to what I was doing. So I thought there would have been some level of understanding from her, but there wasn't. She says, I don't think this is the appropriate place for that to have happened. I'm going to have to consult with Master Sashi. <laughs> and so she did. She sashayed off to have a little conflab with Master Sashi about how I had contravened every rule in the Hindu holy book. Um, and leaving me there to kind of catastrophize about spending the next period of my life in a gulag or the Indian equivalent of a gulag. Anyway, my, my catastrophization was interrupted by uh, a delegate coming over from the conflab, this guy that I'd only met the day before, quite a nice fellow from Galway as it turned out anyway. And he says, he says, here's what happens now. He says, you've stripped your underwear. We have to immerse you in the Ganges three times in order to absolve you of this sin. And I, I, I'm, I'm 
I'm breaking it here, right? Because you're, you're talking about a fella here who has a panic attack when he sees a bath full of water, you know? Um, so being the rebellious Irish man I am, I kind of look at him as he's telling me this sort of stuff, you know, telling this to a mature man, you know, I, I thought, well, mature in age anyway. Um, he, he, he's, I'm thinking, this, this can't happen, you know? So I said, yeah, okay, all right, well, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good to me. So, without further ado, anyway, I'm standing in the middle of this, you know, several hundred people that I hadn't got a clue, uh, in, my, in my underwear, you know, doing a reasonable impression of a pint of Avonmore milk, you know, red here and white the rest of the way down. I thought, had I knew this was going to happen, I would have spent a few hours in the sunbed or something like that. So anyway, that, none of that was happening. This was all superfluous. So I found myself anyway in the middle of this, and the plan was that I was going to hold on to the end of a chain. Galway man, whose resolve or strength I had no idea of, was going to lower me in. Sorry, lower me in, pull me out, lower me in, pull me out, lower me in, and pull me out. And after what seemed an eternity anyway, I did get back onto terra firma and dry land to... Uh, Instant adulation, I'd have to say. Everybody was really happy for me <laughs> that, that I'd survived this trial. <laughs> I can't say I was that unhappy myself that I had survived that trial either. So there were several takeaways from it anyway. I got to swim with Valerie for the last time, for starters, which was, which was quite nice. And uh, I found that three dips in the Ganges and one visit to Deprivag would never absolve me of all of the sins that had accumulated. So that's my story and thank you for listening. That was Patrick Plant there and I loved that line in that particular story about um, the words mentioned in passing from a loved one, they take on a whole new significance when they're no longer around. And as hard, I'm sure, as it was, it was amazing that off he goes to the other side of the world to create this whole new set of memories uh, with his wife. Um, So thank you, Patrick, for sharing that wonderful, wonderful story. Okay, let's go to South Korea. And this time we are going to be joining Roisin McGuinness. And Roisin told this particular story when the theme of the night was fear. But what I loved with the story is the role the strangers play in this story. So watch out for them. This is Roisin McGuinness. So uh, my story takes place um, nine years ago. I was living in South Korea at the time. And it's in South Korea I discovered a bit of a love for the great outdoors. Before this, I I didn't really have much interest in doing outdoorsy things. But uh, when I was there, I discovered that... um, Lots of people go hiking there, it's very mountainous, and I thought, why not? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it this weekend. So I found a group on Facebook, uh, a social group for, for English speakers that organise hikes every weekend. So I signed up, and the title of the trip was called the Saryangdo Mountain Ridge Hike. And I read the title and thought, I wonder what a mountain ridge is. I said, <laughs> and I thought, I'm, sh- I'm sure it's nothing, I'll find it when I get there. <laughs> Now, this was a really, really foolish uh, decision of mine to make because uh, I have a huge, huge, huge fear, probably phobia of heights. Uh, In particular, the feeling of um, being up high and feeling like I'm going to fall down, fall off the height. That's 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 the trigger. So. (laughs) 
So, um, and another, another thing about this fear is that I uh, frequently have forgotten that I have this fear. And I, <laughs> I, sign, I tend to uh, sign up for activities that sound like so much fun. And then uh, in the midst of it, remember, oh God, I'm, I'm so high and I hate this and, 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 and freeze. So I have been stuck at the top of uh, various rock climbing walls, zip lining, ski slopes, um, escalators, bridges. It's just, it's a long list. <laughs> So I'm on the hike and um, I I didn't know anybody. I sorry, I moved there by myself and I was interested in making friends. So that was another reason to join the the group, the Facebook group. So I'm chatting to these girls. We're getting along well and the hike is fine so far. We're just, you know, typical forest trail going upwards. No big deal. And then then the tree coverage starts to reduce. Then it starts to go away and I'm starting to realise just how high up we are. And then, uh, and and then we suddenly come up upon the uh, what, uh, the mountain ridge, <laughs> and I finally discover what a mountain ridge is. <laughs> For anybody who doesn't know, it is um, <laughs> what was in front of me was a very, 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 very long narrow trail with a very, very steep drop to my left and a very steep drop to my right. And all I could see was the ocean, you know, about a million feet down from where I'm standing, approximately. And, um, <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, oh, my God, I, I can't do this. Like, what am I doing? I can't do this. But I also can't turn around because uh, I'll be by myself because this is sort of just the beginning of the trail and these girls I'm chatting to, there's no way they're going to turn around with me. Uh, so I... I don't want to be by myself, so I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to really try hard not to look down, just keep looking up, breathe. It'll be fine. So I managed to sort of, you know, fake it till I make it for a while. And and eventually I do actually get used to it, and it's not so bad, until we get to a rope bridge. And um, at this point, I was only like 23. I had never seen a rope bridge uh, before. I actually didn't know they even really existed outside of cartoons. So... um, (laughs) So all I really knew about rope bridges up until now is what I'd seen in Looney Tunes, when you know they 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 they, they snap very easily, and, <laughs> and people fall off them all the time. So I didn't want to go across this bridge. So here we go. I just got to do it. So I just try to tell myself it's the same as it was up until now. You just put one foot in front of the other. You keep breathing. It'll be okay. So I put one foot in front of the other, and then the next foot, and the, fir- the first foot that went down is like, I don't think I like this. The next foot is like, I really don't like this, because with every footstep, the bridge starts rocking, and I hadn't really anticipated this yet. So it's, it's rocking, and then the girls get on, it's rocking some more, and it's just, it's, the, be- the fear is really building up now, and I'm really struggling to suppress it any longer. And then, <laughs> I'm just about getting used to the sensation of the rocking with the us that were on it, uh, but then um, it only just felt like, I can only describe it as like a stampede, uh, comes up behind me because, uh, as per usual, a queue had been forming behind me because I had been on this trail going so slowly and it was only about three people wide. So me and the girls were, were as wide as the trail and they'd been politely keeping at a slow pace with me. I didn't realise I'd been going so slow. And, uh, but the crowd behind me did. And um, we get to the bridge and it's like, you know, about 10 or 12 people wide. And they are like, yes, finally, we can get past this slow coach. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I thought I knew the sensation of rocking with just five of us on the bridge. But then <laughs> when dozens and dozens and dozens of very impatient people started overtaking me, oh my God, did it start rocking. 
And I completely freeze now. I am like hyperventilating, cannot breathe. I'm almost crying and I'm completely frozen. I'm about six steps in and it feels like at any moment that the bridge is about to tip so far up to one side or the other that it'll turn upside down and we're all going to fall off. So um, I'm panicking and I managed to spit some kind of description of what's going on in my head out to these girls who I'd only just met like two hours ago. And the, the grueling task of getting me to calm down is upon these basically strangers to me. But they were so lovely, and they're from like uh, both from America and Canada, and uh, maybe I don't know, you know that like really cheesy friendliness that comes with Americans and Canadians. <laughs> they were like, "You, you can do this, girl. You got this, girl. You got it." <laughs> so they take me by each hand, and they manage to. Um, uh, so there's other groups. There's a couple others too, and they manage to stand at the bridge behind me. And they manage. Remember, sorry. Remember, we're in South Korea, and a lot of people around us don't really speak English. So, but these girls behind me manage to con uh, convey to people coming up behind us to stop getting on the bridge because we have to reduce the rocking. And um, and the people who had been coming up behind me, like when they started to realize why we'd been going so slow, you know, they were like, oh, 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 lots of pats on the back, you know, some of them taking pictures with me, some of them, <laughs> like, starting to encourage me as well. I was like, oh, come on, come on, you know, like, you can do it. So I had a crowd of people waiting at the other end of the bridge, a crowd of people behind me, all of them like, come on, you could, you could do it, you could do it. So I could do it. I had so much encouragement. I put one foot in front of the other and what was like, should have been 30 seconds across the bridge, took maybe 30 minutes maybe. Uh, my footsteps are going, I mean, millimeters at a time to, you know, to just reduce any amount of rocking. And uh, we get there. My eyes are closed the entire time. They've got my hands and we get across. There were a few more hairy moments uh, similar to that one, but I got there. And um, at the pit stop at the end, the story of me and my fear had traveled uh, uh, all the way through our group. There's like 40 in our group. So when I got to the end of the trail, I was met to like a huge round of applause. Like, oh, there's the Irish girl. They're going to get across. She's here. Woo! <laughs> And uh, since then, I have uh, um, signed up for various activities, remembering in advance that I have this fear, and I have not found myself in such a hairy situation since. So, uh, thank you. <laughs> that was Roisin uh, McGuinness there with one of the most infectious giggles we've had on stage. I don't know whether it was just the reliving the trauma of uh, being up on that mountain ridge or maybe it was just being on stage in front of that wonderful audience. But those giggles were infectious. Um, thanks a million uh, to Roisin for sharing um, that amazing story as well. Again, about the kind of crazy stuff we do when we're overseas. And all I have to say is thank gosh there are strangers out there who can help you navigate those crazy feats, especially when things take a bit of a turn. We are going to be back in a minute with our last story of the podcast. So make sure you don't go anywhere. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Okay, so our last storyteller of this Strangers-themed episode is from Orla Murphy. Now, Orla told this story at our Christmas show last year when the theme was the gift, and um, the story does have references to miscarriage, okay? Just to let you know, everything turns out fine in the end and it's a beautiful, warm story about the kindness of strangers, but just so you know. Here is Orla Murphy. Um, It was September 2013 and I was eating chips in Supermax in Houston Station, waiting for the last train home to Cork. I'd been in Dublin working for the day. I was six weeks pregnant and those chips were the only thing giving me any relief from my morning sickness. A woman sat down next to me and asked could she borrow my phone. And she explained that she had missed an earlier ferry from Wales, which delayed her for the earlier train to Cork, um, where she was travelling to meet friends. Her name was Una, and she was a nun based in Western Australia. (laughs) (laughs) So I loaned her my phone, and we got it chatting. We got to chatting. And we had an instant connection. I'm not religious, but we had the most lovely, easy chats. And I think we were both glad of the company that night. So we said we'd sit together on the train. And when we got to our seats, and before the train left the station, I went to use the bathroom. And that's when everything changed. I had a bleed. And to take you back just a few months earlier that year, I'd had miscarried two very much-wanted pregnancies. And the second of those was particularly sudden and brutal. And my husband was actually away that day, so it was my mum who brought me to the hospital. And it had only been a few months since Savita had died. And I think as women, we both really felt that day, the conflict of losing a much-wanted pregnancy and the conflict of that with feeling your own life is at risk. And it was just really scary. And so on the train, I completely panicked. All I wanted was to get home to Cork, but I was petrified that I'd end up somewhere between Dublin and Cork, needing medical help and not knowing what to do. So I rang my mom and I rang my husband and I explained what had happened. And I told them that I had met this lovely woman who I was sitting with. And so we decided I'd stay on the train, hope that things didn't progress as rapidly as they had the last time, and that I would call on her if I needed some support or some help. So when I went back to my seat, I think Una could instantly sense that something had changed. I had gone from being full of chat to completely shutting down, and I just curled up in my seat and focused on getting home. And she quietly asked me, was everything okay, or had something happened? And I I just nodded, and I said nothing else. And so the journey was a quiet one, and one of the longest I've ever been on. Um... But I really felt, despite the worry, my morning sickness had gone, I felt that's a sign, things are really, this, things are going badly wrong. But despite all my fear and worry, I really felt this comfort and reassurance from Una's presence. It was very real. And even though she didn't know I was pregnant, she didn't know what had happened, I could feel that she could sense I was in distress and that she was quietly keeping an eye on me. 
and I felt so strongly that if I needed to call on her, she would help me. So when we got to Cork, I said the briefest of goodbyes, and I literally ran to the gate, and my mum was there. For some reason, maybe because of what we'd been through, I just wanted my mum to be there. And she had brought the blanket from our couch at home, and she wrapped me up, literally and figuratively, and herself and my dad dropped me home to my husband. And as we waited that long night for yet another devastating scan, I told him about Una and the comfort she had kind of quietly given me and how sorry I was that the way things had worked out, I hadn't got to talk to her properly on that trip home. And the next morning, we went to the hospital and we met my consultant who earlier that year had promised me that if I got pregnant, she would keep me pregnant. I had no hope. But when she scanned me, there was a really strong heartbeat. So we'll fast forward nine months later. It wasn't as easy as that in real life, but nine months later, it's four in the morning and I'm sitting in bed feeding my beautiful baby girl and I'm Googling convents and orders in Western Australia. <laughs> and all I have is Una's name, first name and surname. And so I have a lot of false starts and a lot of email bounce backs. But eventually I get an email address and I write to her and I tell her what had transpired on that journey. And I, I thank her for the comfort she quietly gave me, even though I'm not even sure, you know, I wasn't even sure would she remember that trip. And I tell her that I'm holding my beautiful daughter and she was worth all the heartache. And I think it's safe to say that the reply I got was everything you would hope for in a story like this. She wrote back and said she remembered our journey together really well and that she had said a few quiet prayers for me on the trip, not knowing that there were two of us that she was praying for. And from then on, Una and I just had the most wonderful connection. We email still every year on my daughter's birthday. And a few years later, on her next trip to Cork, she came to our house and she met with my daughter and she met my son, who followed much more, or less dramatically, a few years later. <laughs> um, and we just have a lovely connection. And she is one of the most non-judgmental people I've ever encountered. She just embodies mindfulness and spirituality. And as she said to me recently, life is all about how we relate to people and look after each other. And so I think what Una gifted me with was a renewed faith that even that things can work out even when they feel hopeless and a renewed belief in the power of human connection and the kindness of people in difficult times. Paula Murphy there with a story about how things can change in an instant. But what I loved about the stranger in Orla's story is that Una kind of saves the day by, you know, just sitting opposite Roisin in, in, in this lovely, calm, reassuring silence, this comfortable silence. Sometimes it's actually just being there and, you know, reassuring the other person that everything is going to be okay. And I just love that about that particular story. Um, a special shout out also to Una, who has oh, is 82 years of age, uh, Orla has told me, and has recently just completed a visit with Orla to visit her family. So it's a friendship, I suppose, that's 2013. That's nearly over 10 years uh, now. So, I mean, that's, that's a wonderful, wonderful testimony to that experience and also to the power of what happens when you reach out across the void and you make contact with another stranger. 
Orla was the winner on that particular night, which means that she gets to go on and take part in our Grand Slam. Our Grand Slam is... You know, it's eight brand new stories from eight Story Slam champions and it's going to be taking place on December the 10th in the Abbey Theatre. So Orla will be joined along with seven other Story Slam champions. Theme of the night is Danger. Um, There may, it's already sold out, but there may be a few more tickets released. Keep an eye on our social media. We'll let you know if any more tickets come available at Dublin Story Slam on Instagram is the best way or we'll probably mail out people on our mailing list make sure you're on that too the dublinstoryslam.com and uh, click on the sign up button and uh, we'll let you know when and if tickets become available for the Grand Slam and um, that is pretty much it we'll be back in a couple of weeks time we're already working on on our Christmas episode but we'll be bringing you those Grand Slam stories too in the new year so there are lots of great brilliant stories recorded live here in Dublin coming your way Thanks a million for listening and we'll talk to you soon. The Dublin Story Slam podcast is part of The Warren, the home of great Irish podcasts. As is my podcast, Meet Your Maker. You'll find loads of great shows at thewarren.ie. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 